Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in to episode 301 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network, presented by Justice Dental today. An unbelievable Unbelievable victory for the Kentucky Wildcats. The Yum Center takeover, Sean Smith. I am just thrilled to talk about it. But before we get started, a quick message from our a great team at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling or texting 859-543-0700. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team. Look forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very excited to be joined by none other than Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack Pilgrim, and uh, the whole state of Kentucky feels good this morning. It's, it's not a good Louisville team, but Kentucky went in there, took care of business in a rivalry game, took over the Um Center. I know you were there. I didn't get to go last night, but I watched the game once when I got home last night, and I've already rewatched it again this morning. Got a lot of takeaways and uh, a lot of good stuff. 95-76, um, it kind of went the way we thought it would go. Ugly start, teams are tight, Louisville really not having much to play for with you know, amid the speculation about Kenny Payne, what that looks like, the future of that program. The, the trajectory is just not, uh, not a positive one right now. So we knew that they would probably play loose and – have you know no weight on on their shoulders so why not go and give Kentucky a a ball game so it kind of played to the script for the first 10 minutes and then all hell broke loose in the the last 10 minutes of the first half Uh, it ballooned to 20 points at half and then it kind of was a neck and neck battle down the stretch but it it was never competitive there was not a single moment watching that game that I thought that Louisville was ever going to win or even keep it, you know, within a, a puncher's chance by the the, the finish line. Um, the talent differential between the two teams was very clear and obvious, um, and it resulted in a, in a pretty significant statement victory where I think the biggest takeaway, we'll talk about individual efforts, but the Yum Center takeover by Big Blue Nation was something that I have never seen before as a fan or media member, Sean. I've never walked into an, a, a a road venue and seen so many of the opposing fans just a, a sea of them just outside. It was genuinely ninety percent of the fans you saw walking into the building were Kentucky fans. Just truly a sea of blue. I know it's on the nose, but it truly was a sea of blue. Then once you got into the arena, arena I would say the lower bowl finished out about 50-50 of, of Kentucky Louisville fans. And I don't know, maybe it's just my eyes deceiving me because the red seats, I think, gave them a lot of credit that they do, didn't necessarily deserve. But the upper uh, upper level was completely, I mean, 90% Kentucky fans. And that's where you get your most passionate fans. I mean, if you go to Rupp Arena, that's where 
the most diehard UK fans are. So I think some of those guys trickled into the Yum Center and found their way up into the upper deck. Uh, but there were so many ear-piercing blue-white chants, go big blue, roars from the fan base every time Kentucky did anything of substance. And it was crickets chirping every time Louisville did something. So I've never seen that or experienced that. And it was a very surreal feeling, Sean. Yeah, I wish that I could have been there to, to kind of witness it. But on TV, you could you could hear it early in the game. The Go Big Blue chance early in the game. And Kentucky didn't get off to a great start. They, they got sped up early and, and played kind of out of what they wanted to do. But then they settled in. And the building just – once I mean, that's the thing, right? Louisville gets off to a great start. They couldn't have scripted a better start. Kentucky doesn't get a basket for, what, three and a half minutes? Yep. And then when you go to the – then Kentucky takes a lead right there before the first media timeout. Like, Kentucky was right there. Uh, just overall, they did what they had to do. This was going to be an emotional game for a lot of people. Kenny and Cal, we know what's going on at Louisville right now. You had a great episode – earlier in the week, kind of breaking everything down. But you go into that and you take care of business and you didn't let the rivalry become too much. It didn't, it didn't make you what you're not. Does that make sense? Like they, they played within themselves. A lot of guys played well and it was the veterans, man. It was Trey Mitchell. It was Antonio Reeves and Antonio Reeves was doing exactly what all summer and fall that I was saying, I hoped he would be settling into that role as a scorer Jackie, he's, we know that he can shoot the three, but he's doing some stuff getting off the bounce and into floaters and, and other things that have added to his game. How about this? Another 30-point game from him. That's the second one since he's been at Kentucky. I know Corey Price put the, the stat out this morning, and I think there's only been four players in the John Calipari era score 30 points. And, I mean, he's done it a couple of times there. Like, really, really good score. DJ didn't have the best night, but once again – Kentucky's backcourt depth. Reed Shepard for a double-double. Rob Dillingham has his moments. Antonio Reeves goes off. Trey Mitchell, complete game. Just the way Kentucky can come at you in waves, it's really hard to scout because you think that you've checked off A, B, and C, and then D and E get you. And that's what makes Kentucky really lethal when it comes to getting into conference play and in the NCAA tournament. I want to go to that point about the veterans because it did fe- I mean 18 of Kentucky's last 20 points against North Carolina a statement top 10 victory scored by freshmen and then a game later you have DJ Wagner and Aaron Bradshaw two guys who have you know probably two of Kentucky's highest rated re- recruits signees who had been playing very very well up to this point combined for four points in this game and then you get a combined uh, 48 points between Antonio Reeves and, and Trey Mitchell in this one. When Trey had kind of not I, – I don't want to say he has disappeared, but as the other guys, Aaron Bradshaw, even Adu Thero, different guys trying to find their roles and do all that, you know, Trey has been comfortable taking that step back and just kind of evaluating and just contributing how he needed to. He hasn't just been over overly assertive, just, you know, settling into his role, taking a, a – slight backseat well he reemerges and shows you know i haven't forgot to make shots i haven't lost my ability to make touch passes and and be the the floor general at the top you know point of attack at the top of the key like he hasn't lost any of that stuff and then you have antonio reeves 
going nuclear in the first half. 22 points, hits that dagger three at the end of the, you know, final possession to close out the first half. Just, uh, again, when you have so many scoring options, this is where our optimism comes from. When we talk about this team as a Final Four team, we just experienced the freshmen take the game over a game ago. Rob Dillingham taking the game over, Reed Shepard taking the game a game ago uh, against North Carolina, and then now you have Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell taking this one over. Okay, so who's to say against Illinois State it's not going to be Justin Edwards who have finally got his breakthrough moment? Who's to say the game after that, you know, the road trip to Gainesville, that it's not going to be Rob Dillingham exploding again? This team has so many different options and ways to punch you in the mouth that I don't know in the 94 – I don't care how bad Louisville is. 95 points against a high major Power 5 conference team on the road is exceptional. There's a reason why it's never been done before. There's a reason why this was the scoring record because this team has scoring options that I frankly cannot remember having in the John Calipari era. And I mean, name, name one. I think the, the closest – I saw a stat that said uh, the 2012 team finished with – Five players averaging double figures, and the sixth was Darius Miller at 9.9 points a game. And I think that's exactly where this team is right now. To a T, I think I think Justin Edwards is at 9.9 a game, if I'm not mistaken. But one six guys are flirting with double-digit averages, and that's what it takes to be a, a contender. You have to be able to. You can't lean on one guy. You have to be able to be have a well-rounded, balanced scoring effort where you don't know who's going to step up to the challenge on any given night. That's why this team is special. Yeah, and and the thing with Antonio Reeves, and and I know we talked a lot on last. I think it was Sunday when we recorded, maybe Sunday night, about that he's not Kentucky's best player. He's not Kentucky's second or third best player. I still think that's true, even though he scored thirty. And I'm, and I'm getting back to, to the role that I'm talking about with Antonio. Against Kansas, he scored 24 points on a very inefficient 7 of 25 and 3 of 17 from three-point range. If you remember the game at Arkansas a year ago where he went off, it wasn't a lot of threes made. Last night, Antonio Reeves scored 30 points on 16 attempted shots. That's efficient. That is scoring the basketball at an efficient clip, and that is who he is, and that is what he can do when you blend it with Rob Dillingham. Reed Shepard, I'll tell you this about Reed Shepard. Reed Shepard advances the ball in transition better than anybody I've seen in college basketball. He makes the advance pass, and it instantly puts pressure on a team defensively. There was a free throw that I think Louisville missed, and Kentucky had a basket within five seconds off a missed free throw. And it was Reed Shepard advancing the ball in transition, and there's a bucket. But back to the efficiency of Reeves. When he is playing like that and he's not hunting, like that's the thing. He, he's not pressing and going and forcing and taking nine or ten threes a game. Like what what was his final line at North Carolina? Nine points? Yep. I believe is what he had. He didn't force anything in that game. That's a that's a, a guy that's come that's came back for an extra year here that could start to feel the pressure of, well, I've got to go get mine. He didn't. And then last night, he let it come. To, he let, let the game come to him. And it was DJ that got SEC fresh for the week against North Carolina, and he has a basket last night. He has two points. And Antonio Reeves, who had nine, goes for 30. And then the in-between, Trey Mitchell does more than Aaron Bradshaw does this game. Like, 
that's the balance. Those are the teams that win you national championships and go to Final Fours because when you when one guy is off, there's two or three more that are ready to kind of step in and take take charge and take the lead. Kentucky's balance and what they do, and, and Reed Shepard, I'm going to tell you this, there is not a better guard in college basketball that plays at their own pace better than he does. He plays at his pace for 40 minutes. He doesn't get sped up. He doesn't slow down. He he plays at Reed Shepard's speed at whatever that is. And how crazy is it that the complimentary piece to Reed in the backcourt, Rob Dillingham, probably nobody in college basketball can play to his pace. So pace being the main kind of storyline with both of those guys, Rob being the guy to infinitely speed up anybody that is – that, that he's going up against and Reed being able to slow down anybody that he's going against and, or, you know, just kind of be that, that intermediate, whatever the game, however the game needs him to play, that's what he's going to, or, you know, to, to try to, you know, counter whatever, you know, he'll, he'll slow you down if you're trying to, if he's trying to get, they're trying to speed him up or if they're trying to speed him up, he'll slow it down. Like that's just how he operates those two guys, I mean, there's a reason why that one-two punch off the bench is working so well. And I do think that pace is probably the most underrated aspect of them both. I remember I was sitting next to Zach, and I described Rob Dillingham getting downhill when he got a rebound and just went. He took off. It's like a motorcycle taking off, that he just kind of has this, like, almost that Tyrese Maxey that once he kind of digs his head, you know, kind of gets downhill and just kind of swerves his way through like a motorcycle guiding through traffic. Like that's what Rob Dillingham is. So to have that piece on top of what Reed brings to the table as that kind of, hold on, I got this. I'm going to slow things down or speed you up or like that is so invaluable for any backcourt. And the fact that both of them are coming off the bench uh, is just, it's mind blowing to me. It's it's unreal. It's it's honestly, if you're the uh, if you're an opposing coach in the league, or if you're a coach that's going to see Kentucky in the NCAA tournament on a quick turnaround, and you've got that one day to prepare, that one day to truly prepare, you're you're sweating it out. I mean, because you just don't know what direction and where Kentucky's going to go. They have so many pieces, and they can play through so many guys. But I, I keep going back to that all strings are attached to Trey Mitchell. And that that is true, Jack. Like the the way that they play with him, the the pick and pops, the the post up last night. They they get a pick and pop, Rob Dillingham throws a pocket pass to Trey and Trey immediately goes to the post and goes to work. Like another guy that plays with his pace. You're seeing the footwork from him. Now you're starting to see him get really comfortable with Aaron and the two playing together. And a lot of people that had concern about what Kentucky would look like offensively with those two, I posted a clip to Twitter this morning. And I sent, it, I sent it to you last night because you you texted me late last night after you got in. And we were just kind of going through some takeaways from the game. And I said, how about Kentucky going Zoom with Aaron and Trey in the action together? And, I mean, they don't even – I mean, John Calipari is not even messing around with this thing anymore. Like the the stuff that they're, they're doing with five out and – the, the Princeton looks and, and everything else that they're doing and then mixing in some dribble drive and some dunker spot lobs and, and all those things. Like, it's really fun to watch because I think Kentucky's running some elite stuff, elite level offense. But the Zoom action, it was Antonio in the corner, 
Aaron comes up, gets the pass, and then they go straight into Zoom with Trey setting the pin down. Now, what that does is you've got a shooter setting a pin for a shooter. And then you've got a rim running big coming out of the dribble handoff that can get downhill. And that's tough. That's putting you in a situation that if you get crisscrossed or mixed up somewhere, somebody's getting you. And then Trey's guy has to tag, and Aaron gets just enough of, a, of, of contact in a clip, and DJ throws it out. Or not DJ, but Antonio throws it out, and Trey hits a three. That's elite-level basketball. It's also random basketball. Yeah. That, that is, to a T, what John Welch and John Calipari, when they just just oozed the random talk. And the basketball player, I mean, you had Aaron, as, as we talked, Aaron Bradshaw, Trey Mitchell, two of the direct hitters in that action. You can't do that with, a, a you know, an Armando Baycott. Like, you just, you, you can't. That's not how they operate. But, again, I, I think the the basketball player stuff gets blown out of proportion in the mindset of, well, everybody has to be a unicorn. Like, I don't think that's what Cal means by you being a bet. Like, you can still be a rim-running big. You can still have interior presence. It doesn't mean that everybody is stuck like glue on the perimeter and just launch threes. Like, that's not what five out is. It's just the ability to to maneuver and work around one another in an efficient, productive way where you have three options in that action of Antonio Reeves being left for a a wide open look on ball. You have Trey Mitchell in the corner where he was found, or you have Aaron Bradshaw as the, the rent, like that's three legitimate. How the hell do you stop that options, which is why this team is so, and why you have, 18.3 18.3 Antonio Reeves, 14.2 Rob Dillingham, 13.2 Trey Mitchell, 12.6 Reed Shepard, 11.7 DJ Wagner, 9.9 Justin Edwards, who is finally breaking through in his own right too. Like, how do you – and Aaron Bradshaw, 8.5, Adu Thero, 7.7. That is a legitimate group of dudes that I trust – a Duke Thero to go make plays. I trust Aaron. Like, there's not a single guy in that list that's fool's gold that you go, eh, you know, he kind of went nuclear on in a couple games, and I, I don't really know if I trust him down the stretch. That's a whole list of seven dudes that I believe, eight dudes that I believe could take a game over in March. Yeah. And you mentioned Justin there, and, you know, finally starting to break through at some points. He has the benefit of being able to take it at his pace right now because Kentucky's got so many other guys that there's not, there's, there's no pressure on Justin to have to get it figured out tomorrow. Like he's just playing basketball. He's doing things and he is getting better. He's getting a lot better to me. I'm, I'm confident that at some point he's going to be a guy that's going to step up and make some big plays for this team in, in moments in league play in postseason play. And then Kentucky just gets even deeper and even more, you know, difficult to guard. But what they're doing offensively, like we talked about this back in July, and we got a lot of like, well, we know Calipari's not going to really transition and change what he's doing. No, the philosophy has changed significantly. Like they're not even messing around with it. Like the and, and you're talking about random basketball. The actions that Kentucky will run to get into this stuff, that's initial action to how they want to start offense. The other stuff is random 
and they're just playing out of it, but they've been taught principles and what they do. And, and they're just doing, they're doing all kinds of stuff, Jack. Like I, I love the, the exchange that you'll see them do at times with Reed. We'll give it up to the slot and then his man jumps to help. And then it's an immediate pass back and then right off the ball screen just to kind of get an advantage. Like this offense is designed and set up that you're finding a disadvantage and you're getting an advantage. It's constant. Who's got the advantage in Kentucky's attacking it. They're putting teams in situations to defend either it's two man action three-man action, multiple actions on both sides of the floor that's getting them an advantage to get downhill. They put so much pressure on you in transition. They're instantly putting pressure on you at the rim and at the three-point line. We have not seen a Kentucky team be able to do this collectively across the board and attack you in so many ways. We haven't. Not this deep. We've seen lineups and combinations, but – it doesn't matter which direction he goes. Whoever's on the floor together, like they can put pressure on you in so many different ways. And I know that that is overwhelming if you're an opposing coach. And Cal has had a motto and a mindset over the years where you need three dudes that can go for 25 on any given night. And I, I, I historically speaking, those teams that have had a – I remember vividly – the last time he really went in about that narrative in his post game was that Tyrese Maxey, Ashton Hagens, Nick Richards, grew, Emmanuel Quickly group, where it just felt like every other game it was Nick Richards goes for 25. Then it was EJ Montgomery randomly going for 25. Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Mack, like it, it just felt like you never knew which, which part was going to punch you in the mouth. And it feels like this team in particular, I mean, it's that almost doubled. Like, it's not three guys. It's it's not even five guys. It is legitimately seven, eight guys that that I could lean on and say, you know, Aduk Thero can go give – he has gone and, and given you 20. Aaron Bradshaw can give you 20. Justin Edwards is, I mean, the closest he has come. You know, he didn't even play – all that great. I mean, he had a solid game, and he still had his best best game as a Wildcat. And if that's the baseline, he's easily going to hit that 20-point clip at some point. DJ has done it. Reed has done it. Trey has done it. Rob has done it. Antonio just did it. So, like, I, I just I, – I, I, like you said, I just don't know how opposing teams, especially in March, on that second day that's of, of a short weekend, short turnaround – I, that is where that is going to come in, into clutch. It might not be an SEC play. Like that is where it's going to be. It's at its most valuable when teams are tired. You're just grinding away, trying to chip away at, at six straight victories in March. That is that is where those eight names are going to separate themselves from the pack. And that's why I, I, I'm kind of shocked that Kentucky's still 27 in the net. Like I kind of thought that the analytics would start backing up the eye test, but I guess. We got two quad ones coming up against Florida and Texas A&M. That's where the resume is going to come from. But the eye test is – they've aced. They they absolutely have. And, like, I, I just can't stop talking about Trey Mitchell. Like, I just – every time I watch him play, I was having a conversation last night on the ride back uh, from Louisville from from game we played, and I just kept talking about how Kentucky uses him. And, uh, I mean, I've even, I've even complimented how they're using him to members of the staff or someone on staff when, when I've seen them, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm blown away with how you use him. And 
you saw it last night. It was just complete. You saw him working in the post. You saw him running some pick and pop in the middle third of the floor. You saw him mixed in with some zoom action. Like the things that he does and the weapon, like, like I said, all strings are attached to him. When you've got that guy with that type of IQ and skill set, and now you're blending it with a true big, with a guy with size. And what I'm talking about true big is just a body. Like when you got a true seven-footer out there that can stretch you out too, but can also put pressure on the rim. And, and, and that's the thing. Like Bradshaw's still getting – he's still finding his footing with what he's wanting to do. What's Kentucky going to look like in mid-February when he's in sync and he's in great physical shape and conditioning and is comfortable in what he's doing? Like – Think about that. Like, that's still a guy that's kind of figured out. We're four games in with what it looks like with him. I mean, it's just a sample, Jack. That's a that's a trip to Toronto. And we saw how much better these guys individually. Like, think about it. Rob Dillingham, significantly better version of himself than what we saw in July. DJ, better version. Antonio Reeves. I, I'm telling you, he's still getting better and better and better at what he does and with his role. Adu Thiero, on down the list. Reed Shepard. What's the progression like for the guy who just worked his way in? How much better does he get? Because I'm seeing a list of guys that just continue getting better and better with reps and and days and practice. What happens when the seven-footer just gets better and better and better? Because that's going to happen too. Ooh, it is. That's scary. That it, it is a very scary thing for the rest of college basketball. Um I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they do. Um, who is the – is Rob Dillingham the most fun player of the John Calipari era? A, we'll start there. Is is he the most fun player? And if not, definitely got to be since Malik Monk, right? Like, I think that's the only guy that you watched and go – I just never know what – I mean, he's either going to dunk on your head or he's going to go for 40 hitting eight threes. Like, you just never knew what you were going to get with Malik Monk, and that's what was so fun with him. And he was just kind of had that erratic, ultimate green light mindset. But Rob Dillingham plays the game in such a way that I am giddy to watch him play basketball. It, it is – it's fascinating, my enjoyment watching a player – I, it's been a really long time since I felt that way watching any any Kentucky player. Like he, he, there's just something different about the way he plays and the way he just says, "Screw it, I'm I'm I am me. I'm who I'm who I'm gonna be." And take take me or leave me with with or without my flaws. It's just it's fascinating. Rob is probably the most exciting feel good story about all this right now because we even questioned it. Rob is Rob. And Rob is going to be Rob. But Rob has been Rob has been himself with a balance of discipline, though. Like, there's discipline to his game. And then he's still being aggressive and being who he is. And right there, you know, the personality. That That's what it is. That I mean, his personality is the same on the floor and off the floor. If you meet Rob Dillingham in the tunnel, you get the same version of Rob Dillingham you see on the floor. He does it with a smile on his face. It's, it's a guy that will smile at you and cook you at the exact same time and then tell you you're too small when and, he when and, he makes a move in the post. <laughs> like, against a 6'8 big. Against, like, against a 6'8 big. Like, it's just, 
Cal, and, and this is where it, Cal deserves a ton of credit for this too, because he's allowed. So we're talking John Calipari, the guy here who a lot of a lot of times it's not that he's held guys back, but like from what from what you see at Kentucky to what you see at the NBA, like yeah, guys explode for thirty plus because it's just a different league. At Kentucky, they play within a system. They're taught to share. They're taught to to sacrifice and to give up for the greater good of what the team is, but also individually. He's getting Rob to do that while also allowing Rob to be Rob. That is a massive thing for a guy that I think some probably thought when it was a commitment and a sign that those two don't fit because there's going to be so much of this that Rob's going to get frustrated and be out of here. Not just to the league, but probably to a transfer. There were some people that thought that. What it's been is it's like, I'm who I am and you're who you are. Let's find a middle ground here and let's agree and let's and let's get the best version of each other. And Cal has let him be that while also making sure that he's holding him accountable. That is a massive development and probably one of the most important developments going on within this storyline with this team right now. And I think the coolest part of it, and and Cal mentioned this Monday night on his radio show, that he got a text Monday after the UNC game from Rob's mom and said, just thank you. Like, thank you for holding true to your word. And and Rob told me back beginning of the season, I think it might have been after the season opener, um, said that I remember vividly the conversation that I had with Coach Cal and my mom. Cal came to my hometown, came to my rec center, the gym that I grew up playing playing in, you know, where I became Rob Dillingham. And he told me, he, he said, every other coach came in and said, bro, Rob, you're so shifty. You're going to come in and you're going to drop 35 a game and you're going to get as many shots as you want. You got We got to let – you know, let you come in and rock. Like we got to let, and, and, and Rob said like, yeah, that's great. You, you always want somebody to appreciate your talents and what you're best at. But Cal was the only coach that said, I'm not going to let you do that. You're going to come in and you're going to learn how to be a pro. You're going to come in and figure out, okay, how can I harness this energy, this, this ridiculously fun, entertaining energy and turn it into winning basketball because he was not a winning basketball player in AAU. He was not a winning basketball player in high school. Like just, that, that's just a fact that was where the pessimism came from. Because if you had watched him growing up, you knew he was fun. He was must see TV, but it was never in a, you know, he was about vibes. It was, it was, he was a vibe oriented basketball player more than what can I do to put the team on my back to win this game. And, that took accountability on his side to say, okay, I will not make it in the NBA if this is what my current path is. If I stay with this and I go to UN, if I go to NC State and I put up empty stats on a losing team and average 30, 30 a game, I might get drafted because I look good on highlights, but that is not a player that lasts in the NBA. It's not about getting drafted in the second round because you have the numbers and teams go, eh, we'll see if we can take a shot on you. It's about can you be a winning basketball player while still doing what you do best, and that's what Cal said, and that's the conversation that Rob had with us after the fact, saying he had to teach me how to be a pro. I was not a pro, and that's why Rob's mom thanked him, thanked Cal, and said, 
we needed to hear that. We needed to have that conversation so we knew what the next steps looked like so I could hit, so my son could hit his potential. And Cal's response to Rob's mom was, thank you, and thank you for entrusting me with your baby. There is a lot of mutual respect and trust with that dynamic that both sides kind of, Cal has not coached many guys like Rob Dillingham, and Rob has never been coached the way that John Calipari is coaching him. That's a two-way partnership that could have easily broken and the foundation could have crumbled immediately. And they both figured out ways to get the best out of one another. And the product as a whole, because of it, is exponentially better. And this team is a Final Four team because of that relationship. Absolutely. And the other thing with this, too, is Rob Dillingham could and probably would start for any other team in the country. He would. Or at least 98, 99% of them. And coming to Kentucky where you're coming off the bench, it would be easy to press and to to try to kind of prove yourself to try to break into that starting five, thinking, I got to get to the league. You know, like that that's what this is. And you know, and there's a lot of guys that come into Kentucky, obviously, with the mindset that they they want to get to the league. And there's some pressure, added pressure there within themselves to try to do a little too much. He hasn't, though. And in return, he's coming off the bench, but has improved his draft stock significantly. And the way that he's playing within a system and sharing and not doing too much is actually what's raised his, what's got his draft stock to where it's at. It's not what he's doing on the floor as much as it is how he's doing it and in the role that he's playing. Because that's an NBA-level role for Rob Dillingham as an off-the-bench scorer that just comes in and gets buckets. And, and that blueprint is there, and there's going to be a team that's going to take him and going to take him early, I think, and Rob's going to have a great career because of what you're seeing right now that's putting him in position. This is what happens when it works, and this is what it looks like when all the pieces fit and Cal's getting what he wants out of this program. Like, this is the most in tune it has felt in a very long time with both sides – are eating and both sides are benefiting. These guys are benefiting from it and these fans are benefiting from it. And it feels like the most collectiveness togetherness that I've seen from this program in years. That's my next question for you. For my money, this is this, if this continues to trend the way that it feels like it's trending, I think this will end up being John Calipari's best coaching effort since he's been in Lexington. And I know it sounds like hyperbole, whatever, but for what what each individual talent that we talked about, and I stand behind a lot of the stuff we said leading up to this team and the the speculation behind each of these individuals. And how, I mean, when you have eight freshmen coming in with six of them projected to be in, you know, at least some type of impact player, in some form or fashion for all of those individual pieces to work in harmony, the way that they have is unprecedented. Like I, we have seen this new quantity of players, freshmen come in and it was the Julius Randall team where everybody said, we're going 40, you know, because they just looked at the, you know, and they ended up where they needed to be. But that journey was a hard one. That was, that could have, if they had, loss in any of those steps leading up to that game, then that team, if they'd lost in to Wichita State in the round of 32 that year, they would have looked at that 
season as, okay, well, the one-and-done mindset of John Calipari is not working. He needs to go away from it and figure out an, another path. This team, the way they got a head start in Toronto, look the way that they did in Toronto, and continue, given the added variables of Aaron Bradshaw, Ugan Onyenso, and just seamlessly fit together, and the puzzle pieces have just fit perfectly, that's coaching. Like that, that takes a lot of massaging and nurturing and, and working behind the scenes to get all of that tight and cohesive. And their ability to do that is, I mean, again, it's a long, we're a third of the way through the regular season. There's a long journey ahead, but as things stand right now, if this continues the way it, it appears that it's, it's trending, I think this will end up being John Calipari's best coaching effort because it's, it is really, really hard to do what this staff is doing, putting as many pieces as, as they have together and for them to look the way that they are right now. And there's a comment there about, you know, Justin Edwards and it, was it, was it Antonio Reeves that hit a three off the Justin Edwards pass? Yes. corner. So, so there's Justin, right. Who a lot, we've talked about it a lot on the show and it's been talked about a lot you know, on social media, especially on Twitter, Justin's struck, Justin struggles finishing. Like he's losing the ball and stuff. That was a moment right there where he could have just tried to feel like I got to go prove that I can right here, but he makes the right play off of two feet and finds a wide open shooter who is hot. That's not forcing the issue. That's is playing team basketball and thinking, okay, I'm going to get my opportunity at some point. I fully believe that within Justin's mind and John Calipari's mind and this team's mind, Justin Edwards is going to have his breakthrough. And it's going to come when it's time for him to have his breakthrough. There's no forcing a breakthrough with anyone on this roster. That is togetherness. And that is why this team looks the way that it does. No one is feeling the pressure of having to go do it because they're all together. And in the end, everyone's going to look good because this whole team looks good. Like, no one is feeling the pressure or the weight of having to go be something they're not right now. And it's just all developing and coming together, Jack. Like, this is what you're getting when one is connected to 10. When one is on the same level and same page as 10, it's it's pretty and fun to watch. And that's what you're seeing within this team right now. That's why we argued and debated all summer long about why this team would be good. It's because we saw it for four days in Toronto in a setting where it would have been easy to just kind of do your own thing and go outside the system, but Kentucky played within its system and it didn't care. It didn't care who had the fork and who was eating. Like, okay, it's your turn now. Like, that's what you're seeing within this team, and that's why I trust them. And trust is a big word. You're seeing trust between Cal and players. You're seeing trust with, between players. You're even seeing trust between Cal and assistant coaches that I think had been missing for a while too, especially with in-game stuff. There's just a level of trust, and here it goes. It branches out this way too. For the first time in a long time, I think the overall fan base trusts John Calipari again. Yeah. It, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we're we're some fans lunch lunch break. I I, I appreciate that. Um, there, there was also a fan pig punisher that said that Justin Edwards is playing flat flat out terrible so far for the team. That terrible player 
went for 13 on 6 of 10 shooting, 1 for 3 from 3, 7 rebounds, 1 one assist in 24 minutes. If that's terrible, and that's kind of been our point with Justin Edwards, is even him playing average basketball is a whole hell of a lot better than a lot of players good. He has every physical tool imaginable to be an unbelievably talented basketball player. Like he, he ha- he has the the intangibles to be right, the, the physical traits to be a high level pro. The issue is he has taken longer to put things together than the rest of his his teammates, which is fine. Not everybody's journey is the same, but Justin Edwards, even up to this point has played okay basketball. He has struggled in some areas that are very apparent and they're very loud in moments when they come, you go, whoa, he looks unplayable right now. But when he's attacking the basket, when he's going for, for, for putbacks, when he's thriving in that high post, I mean, that, that mid range pull up is about as money as you could ask for with, with on the team. Like that's, that's a reliable shot that I trust Justin making. If he's already doing that, and in your eyes, which is, you know, you're a fan. A fan how you got a fan. I, I get that. But if, if in your eyes that player is terrible, what will this team look like when Justin gets his real breakthrough? When he goes for 20 in his first game or 25 in his first game? What does that do to the ceiling of this team? And I think that's what's so scary is that even Justin Edwards playing very okay across the board, Doing some solid things at thirteen and seven on efficient, you know, plus sixty uh, percent shooting is a really, really solid all around game. If he's doing that now, what does that next step look like? And I appreciated John Calipari saying after the game, I trust Justin Edwards more than Justin Edwards believe, or I I have more confidence in Justin Edwards than Justin Edwards has confidence in Justin Edwards. He believes in him. He drew up shots for him when he was struggling and bounced it off his knee and got the offensive foul and transition and all that, continued to lean on him and, and know that he's not getting left behind. He Cal is, is going to continue to pour into him and get things figured out with Justin Edwards because it's worth the, the, the juice is worth a squeeze with Justin Edwards, Sean. Yeah. And the thing with Justin is, is does he look like a top five pick? No, he, he hasn't been that level of good. But, you know, that was expectations that was put there from the beginning before we ever saw him take the floor for Kentucky. But what you're seeing is there's balance within this roster that Cal's not forced to have to play him through some of his mistakes or to play in 30-plus minutes. Like, if he was having to play – like, this, the way this roster is put together is what helps Justin the most. It goes back to what I said earlier in the show. It allows him to kind of find his way, and it gives him time. And some guys can take some pressure off. And as he develops, he gets more. And as the confidence grows, he gets more. Does that turn into a lottery pick? I don't know. Does that turn into a first-round pick? I have no idea. But what I'm seeing right now is it's still early within what Kentucky's doing. And they have pieces that can kind of – has it, it built the bridge to allow him to kind of develop. Not all rosters have that. If this had been a roster like last season, Justin Edwards would have to eat up 30 plus minutes a game. And it, then it's, and then what's going to happen is his stock is going to just fall and fall and fall because then he's going to be forced to do things that he's not ready to do.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is it not like B.J. Boston in his career at Kentucky, where B.J. was not ready physically, had the tools? I mean, he's still you know in the NBA and, and figuring things out there. But it, it, it does kind of have that similar feel to it, where if Justin had been that B.J. Boston role, where he had to get the touches, he had to get the shots because nobody else was making them, nobody else had the you know physical tools to do that, what would that have done to Justin's career? Like, Justin, you're still – I mean, we're a third of the way through the season, and we're still saying, I see it. Like, I see the vision with Justin with Justin Edwards, and it's because he hasn't been thrust into that, well, we need you, sink or swim, kid. We got to get this figured out. I – it's it's going to happen with Justin one way or another, and I think it starts on the defensive end. I, I also appreciated Cal pointing that out as well, that – he has to be this team's best on-ball defender. He has to be. He ha- the, the tools are too clear. He is a living, breathing mismatch on paper, given what his, his physical tools are and who he is going to be guarding at this level. He has to be that type of guy. And that turns into instant offense on the other end because that turns into easy breakout dunks and layups where he's not forced to go one-on-one and – potentially get a chart. And I mean, the decision-making has to get better. He has to figure, figure out ways to finish, you know, finish where, where he's supposed to be finishing, but the defense is going to turn into offense. And he, sh- I, th- I thought he was better against Louisville. Like I think that, that you're starting to see things come together ever so slightly. Don't give up on Justin Edwards. John Calipari is not giving up on him. The team is not giving up on him and we're going to need him to be successful by year's end. If this is, you know, team. This team's going to hit its ceiling. And and what we've also seen too is that, you know, Cal's starting him, and that's okay right now. But if he's not playing well, he doesn't force the issue. Like Rob has played more minutes, and Reed has played more minutes than Justin plenty of times throughout the season. But when Justin's playing well and Justin's within himself, like Justin gets more opportunities. That's the kind of the way you want it because, like you, there's a line here to where if you approach it from another way, you may lose him entirely from a confidence standpoint. And then what you've done is you've not just hurt the development, but you you've lost a piece that if you just, if you have some patience with it and you approach it the right way could break through for you at the perfect time. And that's, that's the line that, and that goes back to the coaching job that Cal's doing right now. And seeing that Reed and Rob are playing better, but not feeling the pressure to have to change it all up immediately but then you let minutes kind of dictate what's happening within games john calipari is doing an excellent job with in-game coaching with his rotation and i feel like he's playing the right guys especially in key moments in minutes i I pay more attention to minutes than how the game started and who starts the game what do the minutes look like on saturday against north carolina it was those three freshman guards playing more than antonio reese how does Antonio Reeves respond? He goes for 30 on one of the most efficient games he's had as a Wildcat. Pretty good response. Love it. Um, we did get a couple other updates. 
One particularly on Big Z, the since the last time we talked, Sean, it has been a whirlwind and a half uh, with with Big Z. So we got to address the seven foot two elephant in the room here. Um, Cal said he's going home for the holidays and is supposed to come home for the Illinois State game. Um, is what it is. Um, nothing from the NCAA yet. No clarity. Cal was very obviously pissed off last night talking about that situation and saying, isn't it ironic that these high school players are making hundreds of thousands of dollars with NIL and Big Z is getting questioned left and right about his overseas contracts and the money that he potentially made playing for, you know, playing with his pro contracts overseas. It's like, the, the the amateurism aspect of college basketball has been thrown in the dumpster, and it has been for two, three years now. The fact that they are obsessing over Big Z's case and just digging and digging and digging and refusing to give up on this, uh, it's, it's slapping the face to Z, and I feel bad for him. And um, do I think that things have been handled as well as imaginable, and could this have been handled earlier and probably would have you know, been a setback, but he, pro- you know, could have been cleared in advance of this. I do. I, I think that it, it took too long to get the process going and that led to unknown setbacks that in hurdles that they were not anticipating. And that kind of forced things to get expedited in other areas and maybe overlooked some things that it has gotten us to this point where now there is genuine buzz and concern about Big Z uh, returning home for the holidays and staying. Like, I, I have heard that. I heard it before the UNC game. I thought it was just kind of speculation of, yeah, things aren't going well. Cal's kind of pissed off that at the NCAA, and he's just getting, you know, the, the hassle is not worth the reward and feeling guilty for the kid that they, he spent the time and energy bringing him over to the States and getting him admitted to help him reach his NBA dream, only to watch, have him turn into a – Sideshow, like all he he isn't able to do anything of substance with this program right now, and and it it sucks for him. And I something's got to give somewhere. Uh, it, I I would not blame Big Z in the slightest if he thought it was best in his best interest to cut cut ties and say I got to do what's best for me and and return home and start preparing for the draft. If I'm not playing here, this is wasted. To, with all due respect, it's partially wasted time and. I, I got to do what's best for me in my basketball journey. I feel for him. I feel for the staff. It's a really crappy situation that should have been handled months ago, but here we are, Sean. Yeah, because I just don't understand what's taken so long to determine his eligibility. I mean, he, he's been here since October. Here it is. They got one more game, and it's January. I mean, you're in, you're in between semesters. Like, how hard is it to just figure it out? You're eligible or you're not. Like, that's the frustrating part about it. But then we, we've reached a point here that, you know, if he could have got here in August, would we have even had the decision before the season started at the rate that we're going right now? And then if you do get him eligible, it's just such a disadvantage because he's not even had the opportunity to kind of play in some of these non-conference games that you're kind of just, are you going to throw him out there in the middle of conference play? Like it's just it's been a situation that's just so unfortunate for for all sides, but mostly for for Z. Like 
but you see him being a really good teammate on the bench and you're seeing him enjoy the time that he's, that he's been in the time that he's spending here. And I hope he sticks it out because I hope it works out, but if it doesn't, he's got to do what's best for him. Cause right now, nothing has really been in his hands. And that's the most frustrating thing about it is he's not been able to control any thing that has happened in this entire situation. Besides his grades, besides his, the way he has approached the situation with patience and respect. And he, he's a good kid. He, is he a little immature? Is he, you know, there are those things about him, but you know, he has handled this process as well as you possibly could. And that takes a lot of courage. I mean, he has dealt with injuries that some haven't even been reported publicly because, again, it's stuff that sounds so ridiculous because he it's one literally been one thing after the other with Z, and it's just minor thing here and there, you know, tight hamstring, cramps, 104-degree fever, uh, food poisoning. It's just it, th- This kid has dealt physically with so much as is adapting to the college game, figuring himself out, who he is as a basketball player, all of that with this group. He has tried adjusting as well as imaginable, then dealing with the pushback with admissions, then dealing with the pushback from compliance. And that they have not been helpful in this either. It, it has been very bizarre the way admissions and compliance have handled this situation too. It, it, it just felt, it just feels like something's got to give here. And the way things are trending it's going to become more hassle than it's worth for all parties involved. And they're just going to say, we love you Z. We appreciate you, but clearly this is all wasted time. We're a third of the way through the season. Winter fall semesters over winters here, Christmas break, like something's got to give dude. I, you know, I, I feel for you. I know you wanted to be here. I know you wanted to live out your dreams, but you know, kids got to do what's best for him. And at this stage, Barring an a absolute last minute hail mary, it just does not feel like we're trending toward Big Z's future being in Lexington. I, I want that to be wrong, and I hope that the NCAA does what's right and and you know make a decision one way or the other to to provide him clarity. At this point, don't care if it's yes or no. Just give him an answer so he knows what the next step looks like. And maybe it's okay. I'm ineligible for the rest of the season, but if you give me, you know, eligibility next season, I can really train my butt off and be ready for next season. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But the waiting game a third of the year uh, way through the season is just ludicrous. And I'm sick. I'm sick of waiting because I know Big Z is sick of waiting. And I know Cal's sick of waiting. Yeah, we all are. And like I said, for the most, this is frustrating for Z, but I know it's really frustrating for Cal because Cal – you know, brought him here and probably, you know, is, is putting through all these situations and in, in hopes of giving him an opportunity to, to better his future. And like you said, he has the grades. He has the GPA. He, he's done his part. He's controlled what he can control. But it's just frustrating that the majority of this has been situations that he can't control. But great teammate and what he's doing. I, I hope that he gets an opportunity. But like you said, it just – the longer it went and the longer it's been going, it just kind of thinks you can't help think negatively about the situation and how it's going to play out. But if he's here, great. If he's not, I, I think everybody's going to be pulling for him regardless. 
Yeah, I, I'll be a fan of him. Hopefully he makes it to the NBA. Even, you know, I, I'm first and foremost, I hope that it works out with Kentucky. If it does not, I will be a fan of Z wherever he goes, whatever his path to the NBA looks like. I wish it had been at Kentucky. Maybe it still is, but I'll be a, a, a fan of Big Z regardless because he's a good kid and uh, means well, and he's heck of a talent long-term especially. So um, rooting for him. Hopefully kid gets clarity that he uh, absolutely deserves NCAA. Continue to kick rocks. I hate your guts. Um, let's wrap up here. Big news leading up to – the game. I mean, what awesome timing. Two hours before tip-off, Kentucky gets a commitment, one that we have been expecting, one we've talked about on the show uh, extensively. Billy Richmond is a Kentucky Wildcat. He announces his commitment through uh, Shams on Twitter. Uh, you know, NBA, not a, not a bad way that the NBA's best newsbreaker announcing his commitment through there, and then his, he actually put out his own commitment video shortly after. But um, – that is a heck of a get, heck of a timed commitment, I think, with the Camden dynamic, you know, DJ versus Milt and Kenny Payne, that relationship, Purvis Ellison. Like, there were so many things at play with the New Jersey connection and Kenny Payne. And they went forward with a commitment right before tip-off, and Cal got his fifth commitment of the class. Cal said that this is – rounding into a pretty darn special recruiting class with even a higher ceiling in 2025. Um, what did you think of the addition of Billy Richmond, especially given the timing uh, of this commitment on December 21st? It was uh, a, a perfect kind of uh, appetizer to what happened last night, right? Like uh, it felt like one of those things where John Calipari lines it up. You, you get a commitment, uh, from Jaden Quaintance leading up the champions, you get a commitment from Billy Richmond leading up to the to the Kentucky Louisville game. But he stands out from the other guys that they have in this class, especially perimeter players, because he's long, he's athletic, he's he's a drive first guy that gets downhill. That's you need that guy in your class. So we're we're talking. He, he's still developing as a shooter in in the guard skills and and everything else that, that about his game. <clears throat> Those things are still developing. But when you put him with shooters and the way Kentucky's doing things, you need a guy that can get downhill and attack. And, and he's that guy. Around 6'5", athletic, can rise, can fly, things like that. Like, I, I love his game and love what he adds to this class, Jack. And and this is a class that, I mean, look, it's, it's before January and the bulk of it's done. That's another advantage to, to what Kentucky does going into the spring because we're expecting a lot of guys to be gone from this current team, a lot. So John Calipari needs to know who he has in the fold to then kind of see where he needs to go portal, reclass, or what's in high school. So like I, I think that it was uh, – it caught me kind of off guard last night at, at the moment. So I was we were getting ready to tip our game, and I was like, whoa, Billy Richmond is a cat. So it didn't catch you off guard, but it caught me off guard. We hadn't had a, we hadn't had a chance to talk. And uh, Shaka Cummings asked, um, impact Richmond's commitment might have on VJ and Knox? None. This this has been, as I've tried to allude and discuss on the show uh, often, this has been done. Like, Cal had this thing locked up at the end of the early signing period. Um, I thought that he was going to be signed. Like, I thought that that was signed and announced. Like, I thought that was a – a sure thing, but talking to people around Billy, talking to, um, you know, just people that know what this process looked like, 
I, I think they want they were set on Kentucky, but also just kind of wanted to see a the you know making sure the momentum was still going the way they expected this playing style, um, making sure they didn't add two random commitments at his position, you know just just hitting pause for a second and saying we're good we're we're set on Kentucky they didn't you know deal with anybody else after that point, uh, but just wanted to hit pause and say, we're good. Let's just give it a month or so and see how things, you know, we'll circle back and we'll get this thing figured out. And that's exactly what happened. He has been set on Kentucky from, from day one. Dad played for John Calipari. Really fascinating story of a guy that Cal actually kicked off his team. Billy Richmond, uh, I believe this is Billy Richmond the third. Billy Richmond Jr. was kicked off Cal's team. Had a kind of a breakthrough personal moment where – his dad said, I wasn't mature enough to play for John Calipari. This was my fault. We have since reconnected. And um, it's a really good, feel-good story, Sean. Like, this is the son of a player that got kicked off of John Calipari's team and still felt that I want to send my son to play for that coach. Like, that's a really cool thing for in mature decision for all parties involved. And I, I just uh, got to give – the dad credit for realizing that the, the, his future, his son's future is, is in good hands under John Calipari. The developments there, as you said, long athletic drive first slasher, uh, but defensive oriented, like defense is the name of the game with him. He is a, an, a, a dog on that end of the floor. And as we talked about earlier, defense turns into offense for him. That's how he gets the majority of his buckets. Um, so, you need a DeAndre Liggins on every roster. That That is what I kind of envision him being, DeAndre Liggins. Uh, Keldon Johnson was the comp that UK put out in the video um, with the you know, cow walking down the, the road with the posters. DeAndre Liggins was one of them, and then Keldon Johnson was another. So uh, that kind of long, athletic, bouncy wing who's going to get after the defensive end, every team needs one of those, and that's exactly – uh, what Billy Richmond is, but no, it has no bearing on VJ Edgecombe, has no bearing on Carter Knox. This class was always going to finish with Billy and one other person. Who that other person is going to be, uh, VJ Edgecombe is the guy that they're going all in on right now to try to close this thing out, and that would wrap up the class, in my opinion. Uh, if not him, they're going to circle back with Darren Peterson, see what happens there if he's looking at a reclass and they know that Carter Knox is somebody that is gettable. They could, they could get Carter and round out the class kind of as a worst case scenario, but an awesome scenario because Carter Knox is still a very solid all around player who will produce at, at a place like Kentucky. So um, really, really good spot for John Calipari to be in before the end of 2023 five man class already wrapped up before January. That's where you want to be. Now you can kind of go in for the big fish, say I'm pushing all of my chips in on VJ Edgecombe. I'm pushing all of my chips in on Darren Peterson or whomever. Uh, Caleb Wilson, go down the list of potential reclass guys, Malik Thomas. I mean, you, you can look at every available option and then pick your last foundational piece to say, okay, now let's ride the the complimentary pieces are there. Now you can go for one last home run and, that's a really, really comfortable spot for John Calipari to be in, Sean. It absolutely is. You mentioned uh, DeAndre Liggins and how you kind of view him being in that role and that guy. DeAndre fit that 2011 season because of the shooters and the 
the floor spacers they had around that guy that could get downhill and attack and become a great defender. So I like that comparison because you see Kentucky trending and recruiting that direction with with Boogie and, and Travis and and we know that that whatever they get from the portal, I think it's going to be skilled players that can shoot the floor and, st- and stretch you out and space the floor. So he fits. And then you you let him develop as a shooter and, and just let him attack and do things. So, no, I, I like this class overall and, and the way that it looks. Uh, it's really shaping up to be another really, really good class uh, with a lot of potential and, and some guys that you can really see, you know, taking off and, and performing and thriving well in this program. Before we get out of here, uh, Josh Hurd says Kenny Payne will remain as basketball coach. Made makes the official decision. So good, you know. I felt for Kenny because the in limbo position is garbage. Like make a decision after the Arkansas State game in the middle of the Karan Davis in the middle of all that absolute nonsense, the PR distraction and nightmare that was. Make that decision there. Go public and say, we will reevaluate going into the holiday. We are going to fire him right now, or he's going to stay for the rest of the season. The making him go out and sit in front of a camera with a microphone in front of his face and answer questions about his future, not knowing whether or not Josh Hurd is making that decision one way or the other, it's, it's not fair to him. So I'm glad that this game solidified something for Josh Hurd and Now I'm rooting for Kenny to finish this year strong and go, go save your job. I, I love Kenny Payne. I think he's a misunderstood. I I feel like U of L fans just go after every single tiny quote that comes out. And, you know, the, like the one point thing that came out, Cal wants to beat me down. I just want to win by one point. It got so misunderstood by the fan base of, what Kenny is saying is, I don't care if I win by 45 or 1, I just want to win the damn game. Like, that's what he was saying, not, I only want to win by one point because Cal's my best friend. Like, shut up. Because I love him so much. You know, it's, that's not what he meant. No, he wants to win the damn game and save his job. Like, Kenny is a good guy. He's a good coach that is has not adapt, not adjusted to the culture of being the, the head coach at a place like Louisville. He cannot say things that John Calipari gets away with at Kentucky because he does not have the equity built up with the program and the the fan base. He has to earn every bit of respect and the way he kind of just talks and says just what's on his mind, the way the head coach at a place like Kentucky would say, it rubs Louisville fans the wrong way and they want him out because the product, the on-court production has just not been what it needs to be. I would have understood if they had felt that the future did not was not positive with Kenny Payne and they wanted to make a move after the Arkansas State game. But I thought this week of limbo was nonsense, and I, I felt for Kenny. I understood both sides of the frustration, wanting to can him, wanting to give him a longer leash. Cal was about as outspoken as imaginable after the game, saying Kenny's going to right the ship. Ship everything's going to be okay. He needs a year to get this thing right. So, good. I, I'm, I'm glad he's saving the job, you know, at least for the rest of the year. I'm glad that he's keeping the job. And, you know, I hope that he rides the ship and this rivalry can 
get the juice back that it needs under Kenny Payne. I think that'd be a really fun turnaround of everybody wanting him can midway through year two, and he s- turns things around and saves the day and, you know, goes on a little bit of run in a- ACC play. I-, I-, I am rooting for Kenny Payne's success. I hate the Louisville Cardinals. I love Kenny Payne. Yeah, got to find a way to win some some games in that league in the ACC. Like you got to you got to show progress, you got to show improvement. I think getting to double digit wins would be a, a massive thing for him if he's able to pull that off, and that, that's going to be tough. That is going to be tough with that with that schedule in that league. But if he can get the ten plus, uh, we'll we'll see what decisions are made in the spring when this thing's all said and done. But you're you're right. This this rivalry is it's missing some juice. And like you said last night, I didn't feel at any point that Louisville had any any chance at kind of making that thing competitive down the stretch. They got off to a start. Kentucky struggled to make shots. But like I said, right before the first media timeout, you know, Kentucky takes a lead. Or they hadn't scored a basket in the first three and a half minutes of the game in Duke. In, uh, Duke. Louisville was up 5 nothing. I was reading something about Duke a second ago. <laughs> but um, the juice is missing. From this rivalry, and I don't know if you ever get it back to to Rick Pitino, John Calipari. Like that was just such a, a, a different level of, of juice when it came to the rivalry. But Kenny's a guy that we all like, so that takes a little bit of the juice away. Still hate Louisville. Still like a lot of people. I mean, Kentucky fans hate Louisville, so that that's there. But this has not been a competitive rivalry for a while. Even when Rick was there, it wasn't competitive. I, I hope Kenny is the one to make it competitive again. I, I hope the turnaround happens. I hope ACC play goes well for them. And um, I will never root for Louisville, but I will <coughs> – goodness. I will always root for Kenny Payne. I, I hate Where's Louisville. your body trying to tell you to not say whatever yeah, you're about that, that's, that's God saying – what are you doing? No, just uh, what is coming out of your mouth is repulsive. So, no, nah, I, I like Kenny Payne. I, I, I'm rooting for him. I hope that uh, the ACC goes well and the rivalry, you know, they, they decide to keep him and he turns it around so the rivalry gets back to where it needs to be. Uh, it is – it'll be – it'll be. We'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be fascinating. Great win for the Kentucky Wildcats, 95-76. It was a blast inside the Yum Center. Um a lot to be excited about, Sean. I'm glad we were able to get get a lot of good stuff off of our chest this morning. A little, little bit of a different show today, but yeah, Jack's allergic to Lul. Yeah, that's basically basically what it is. Uh, Sean, appreciate you coming on with me this morning. This was a blast. As always, let's get out of here. Where can fans find your work? You can follow me on Twitter at GVB Country. Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Go subscribe to KSR+. Plus. We are having a blast over there on the message board. It is uh, the, the one-stop shop for UK basketball community and fo- football community as well. So go subscribe there. Um, get the latest intel, latest conversations with the KSR gang. You do not want to miss that. And subscribe to this YouTube channel if you're not. Like, what? Why, why, why are we even here if you're not subscribed? So go on and do that. Appreciate each and every one of you. I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll, we'll take a little bit of a break with the long break until the next game. Um, I'll be off a couple days next week, but we'll, we'll figure out a way to go live at some point next week. I'll, I'll keep uh, everybody updated on Twitter and um, just keep your eyes peeled on this, on this page as always. Go Cats.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.